0: Bible out. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. That's where we'll begin our time of study this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As you're doing that, as you're getting to that place, I'd like to say good morning and welcome, especially to those who are visiting with us. Thank you so much for being here. We have a number of visitors. We're thankful that you're here. We want you to feel welcome. We want to do anything we can to Get to know you better, to help you to serve God, or if there's something you have a question about, something particular that has brought you in to worship with us this morning, we would love to know about that and love to help you with that. But thank you so much for being here. We're glad that you are here. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 is where I want to begin. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1, the text says, the saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So the work of an elder or an overseer, he says, is a noble task. It is a good work. New Testament churches had men that watched over them, led them, often taught them. Sometimes they were described by the fact that they were older, experienced men, and so they are described as elders. Sometimes they are described by the fact that they were stewards, managers of a congregation, and so they are described as bishops or overseers. And sometimes they are described as leaders who feed the flock, and so they are described as shepherds or pastors. And Paul says, if anyone aspires to this work, he says it's a good work. My question is, why would he say that in verse 1? Why would it need reassuring to know that the work of an overseer and aspiring to it is something good and noble? I believe that behind this statement, Paul is talking about aspirations. And he is talking about how the local church needs to encourage people to aspire to the work of an elder. That this is something Christians should be working toward. ...and building toward. It seems strange to me that we spend so much time... ...encouraging our young people about role models. And we talk to them about basketball players... ...or political figures... ...or great scientists... ...and and people who have done great things in the world... ...but we spend very little time encouraging our young people... ...to think about being an elder. To think about the work that God says... ...would be good for them. Part of my work as an evangelist in this local church... ...is to encourage... And to ensure that in the future, this local church will continue to be organized the way it should be with men who serve this congregation in the capacity as elders. That means that we need to be keeping an eye on the future. So as God's people, as elders, we need to remember that Christianity has what we might call a mentoring feel to it. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 where it says, What you have heard from me, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I want you to see the mentoring idea in that. That Paul has worked with Timothy along with other men like Silas and Titus. And that he had taught them and worked with them. And he says, what you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there is a continuing of a chain of teaching that is in this mentoring style. And so it is part of our role as an entire congregation to guide and shepherd those who are younger, men in particular, toward the work that God has called them to in elders, to especially encourage them to know that being an elder is a work worth pursuing. One of the issues with these kinds of thoughts is that we tend to procrastinate about things. And when I was thinking about this, as I was preparing these thoughts, I remember uh, uh, applying to college, and the college application process, and particularly the scholarship application process, it is something where you know a deadline is coming, and you know you need to do that, but as a senior in high school particularly, you kind of have your own mentality about that, And, and you just wait. And so I remember just sort of at the end of the deadline, cobbling something together and then just mailing it off and say, well, hopefully that'll be good enough. Being an elder is not like that. Being elder is not something that, that at the last minute we can rush to catch up to and just kind of cobble it all together and then, and then we'll be ready. It's something that takes a lifetime of pursuing. When someone approaches us about being an elder cannot be the first time that we've thought about it. So I want to recommend some actions that will help us right now to prepare for the work of eldership later in life. So we're going to call this, so you want to be an elder. And yes, it would help if you had one of these great beards that this guy has, that Zach Burtner had. I, I, I think for some reason we picture our elders as bearded. Our elders are not bearded. That's okay. But I want us to think about what we can do now to prepare to be an elder. What can I do right now? And particularly, of course, I'm, I'm gearing this toward younger men. ...who look forward in their life... ...and they they might have that aspiration... ...and if you don't, I want you to think about that. But if you're wondering, what can I do now... ...so that I can be the kind of man I want to be... ...when I reach that stage in my life... ...that's what we're going for. So, what are some things that the New Testament teaches us... ...we can do now to prepare for that work? First... I can right now learn God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2 says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And I want to focus on that last phrase, able to teach. It might sound like he's commending someone's teaching ability, his speaking skills. But I want to stress that the focus of this qualification has to do with knowledge. You can have a teacher who doesn't speak well but you cannot have a teacher who doesn't know the material. That won't work. Able to teach means someone who is proficient in the material. He knows God's word, and he can teach it to other people. Go with me over to Titus chapter 1. Titus 1. We're going to be bouncing around a lot in the New Testament in these areas, particularly in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, as we look at some of these qualifications. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, the text says, speaking again of of overseers and the work of bishops, Verse 10, and um, verse 9, For he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So first of all, he must, in verse 9, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And that word, as taught, means that at some time previously in this elder's life, someone taught him, and he listened, and he grew to understand what he had been taught, and he made it his own so that now he can do the teaching. He has been taught, he has learned it, it has become a part of who he is, and now he can teach others. That is the process described by verse 9. We need elders, according to Titus 1, who are prepared because they know the word of God, who are prepared to do the work that an elder needs to do with the word of God. He says in verse 9, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So he can give healthy teaching, what's going to help people. That's what the word sound means, is healthy. He can give healthy teaching, and he can also stop people and contradict people who are giving false teaching. He knows the word, and so he's prepared for the good and the bad that comes with knowing the word. He also, Paul stresses, that there are some people who are going to need to be silenced. That's verse 11. There are, they must be silenced and they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now, this is not a power play verse where he is saying, see, elders need to shut everybody up. That's not the idea. The idea is elders know God's word so strongly and grasp it so firmly that they can then answer the arguments of others who would come teaching something false. They are prepared. They are conversant. They know. Let's go to Acts chapter 20 for a moment. Acts chapter 20. In Acts 20, Paul addresses the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he talks to them about the teaching element that they have gone through and how it's going to prepare them for what is to come. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I want to read beginning in verse 20. Acts 20 and verse 20. Paul says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public And from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 26, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 32 Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what Paul does is he reminds them of what he did among them. He says, remember how much I taught you? Remember how we learned house to house and in public? We did this at all the places. And he says, I didn't hold back anything. I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And now, verse 28, now you've got a work to do to pay careful attention to yourselves in the flock. And he's warning about there are things that are going to happen that you're going to need that teaching to prepare you for. And he says, I commend you to the word of his grace. I commend you to the same word you've been learning all this time I've been here. Paul says, you need to know God's word and since you know it, you're prepared. Hebrews 13 and verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They spoke to you the word of God because they learned God's word. Elders have to be ready to say it is written again. When somebody misquotes or misunderstands some part of God's word. Elders have to be the ones prepared to do that. Elders need to be the ones who are able to know falsehood when they hear it. Elders are the ones who are able to help other people to grow by teaching them, here's what you need to do, here's what needs to change, here's what you should work on. Should they be nice guys? Of course. Should they be well-liked? Sure. But no amount of personality makes up for a lack of knowledge of God's word in an elder. It just won't work. So what that means is... ...if I want to prepare now... ...to be an elder... ...then I have to take this part very seriously. It is an essential part of the work... ...that we're describing. How do I reach the point... ...of biblical knowledge... ...where we can handle the word proficiently? We have to learn. We have to think. We have to ask. We have to study. We have to listen... That is how our elders got to be where they are today. That's how they did it. They learned. It was a process of growth. That's how elders are made. They are made in the crucible of being taught and growing in Christ. This happens. It is a real life thing. I I vividly remember this. I vividly remember when I first started preaching. And I remember sitting down with a text and thinking... I have no idea how I'm going to preach about this text. And I remember thinking, I can't talk about this because I don't even know where the passages are that I should be studying about this. I don't even know where to look. And I remember thinking, if I could just get through 15 minutes on these few verses, that would be great. You know what? I don't worry about that anymore. In fact, now I have to worry about preaching for too long. Why has that changed? Well, it's because I've grown. Now, my problem is I'm nowhere near where I want to be in terms of knowledge of God's Word. But it is encouraging to me to see that there are men in our midst who have been studying and working in the Word so long and paying attention to it and growing in it that they are now capable of teaching and handling issues and problems that arise about God's Word. You want to be an elder? Learn the Word of God. Second thing I can do now to prepare to be an elder. I can focus on my family. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. Focus on my family. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2 talks about the requirements for an elder. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. The word literally means a one woman Man. It is describing a man who is faithful to his wife. There is no doubt about his loyalties. He belongs to her. He is a deeply committed husband. He is a one-woman man. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care or how will he care for God's church? So here God pictures the home as a proving ground for the leadership ability of a man. It shows his fitness for leadership in the church. And he uses this word in my version in verse 4. He manages or rules his household well, keeping his children in submission. Are his children submitting to his rule? Do they follow him? Do they obey him? Do they respect him? Are his children out of control? That's a question that indicates his leadership... And here the text says that his leadership at home is a sign or an indication of his leadership in God's church. He is, in another way to say it, is qualifying or disqualifying himself by how he handles his affairs at home. Let's go over to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, we'll put this together with that. Titus 1 and verse 5. Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So again we have in verse 6 the idea of the husband of one wife. An elder needs to be married. An elder needs to be a faithful mate. But we also have in verse 6, His children are believers. That word is actually faithful. Faithful. Yours might have the word faithful there. And faithful can indicate in one direction or the other. We can be faithful to God. We can be faithful to the Father. It could be in either direction depending on how you take the word. But the point is that the the Father has taught his children to be dependable. His Father has taught the children to be faithful to the the commitments they have made. Whether that's a commitment to God or a commitment to Him, that is an indication of the leadership of the Father, the faithfulness of the children. And in verse 6, it also says, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, which kind of takes us back to the idea of submission back in 1 Timothy 3, that they are children, young people, who follow their father and have good character. Those are signs, he says, that they are being led well. So, if we know that how a man leads his family is something that matters as to how a man's going to lead the church, what can I do right now? I can focus on my family. I can focus on having a sincere, care-filled relationship with my wife. How I can be faithful to her in every sense of that word. I can develop my children and work with them and focus on them, teaching and guiding and disciplining them, helping them to learn submission, helping them to learn character, teaching them about Jesus. You see, I can do that now where I am looking forward. I can focus on my family, but there will be a time when if I suddenly decide I would like to be an elder, focusing on my family at that time will be too late. Finally deciding I I really need to work on my marriage will be too late in terms of uh, preparing myself to be an elder. Or trying to discipline my children, there will be a time when I suddenly realize I want to do that, it will be too late. And so the emphasis here is, for our young men especially, focus on your family. Now, I am not saying, please listen, I'm not saying that if you don't have a wife or you don't have children, you're not a good Christian, that somehow you've done something wrong. It's a bit different from the first point because we all need to learn God's word, but focusing on the family may look different for us depending on where we are in life. I am also not saying that if you want to be an elder, the first thing you need to do is go find somebody to marry, and the first person who says yes, you've got to lock them up. And start having kids. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that there is a danger. Please listen. That when we're younger, we focus so much on ourselves. And we focus on our careers and our goals and dreams and our hobbies and what we like. And precious years go by without us really paying that much attention to our families. And I'm encouraging those, those of us who have families to focus on those families. And in doing so, lay the groundwork for leadership. And can I say something about that before I leave this point? This is more than just time and effort. We learn something when we focus on our families. We grow. We learn how to pray when there are things that are outside our control. And we learn how to be wrong. Anybody in a family in this room ever learn how to be wrong? We learn how to make up after we're wrong. How to apologize. That's an important skill, whether we're elders or not. In other words, focusing on the family means that I'm going to pay attention to the work that's going on in my home, knowing that that's essential in my service to God. And also, someday if I want to be an elder. The third thing we can do now to prepare to be an elder is I can discipline myself. Look in Titus 1. We're here in Titus 1. Look in verse 7. Titus 1 and verse 7 says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now when you look at those qualifications, I think sometimes we look at them in a certain way where we're trying to evaluate other people. But I want to encourage you to look at these qualifications, each one indicating a personal battle. And each one of these qualifications is a personal battle that God expects elders over time to win. So he talks about, in verse 7, he must not be arrogant which speaks to an internal battle with pride. That over time, this man has learned his weaknesses. He has learned not to trust his successes. He has learned that there is a concern with his own view of himself. He's learned the need to listen more than to always speak. And so we would not say he is arrogant. We would say he's won that battle. He has disciplined himself in terms of his personal pride. Verse 7 talks about the word not quick-tempered. It means that he has learned to control his responses in emotional and heated situations. He can control himself now. He may have been born with a short fuse, but over time he's made that fuse longer so that he can handle himself better. Now, can we see why it's important for an elder to not be quick-tempered? Because there are going to be a lot of situations where he would be easily angered, And there are going to be a lot of situations where him responding in intense anger would damage more than himself in his work as an elder. Verse 7 describes not a drunkard, which means he may have battled to avoid being addicted to alcohol, wrestling with all the challenges that come with an addiction, but over time he's won that battle. He's not violent, verse 7 says, which speaks to the way he interacts with other people. He's not greedy for gain, verse 7 says, which means that he has mastered that natural impulse that we all have to try to go after things that we want and has refused to compromise what's right just because there is money or the opportunity for money in front of him. And in place of these impulses, verse 8 describes positives. Look at verse 8, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. This is not a man who has just mellowed as he has aged. That's not the idea. He has won the battles. And so we follow him. We respect him because he has disciplined himself. The Lord has been at work in him. We all have our rough edges. Elders are living proof that God helps us to round off those rough edges as we walk with him. And over time, when we make the effort to discipline ourselves and to follow after the Spirit of God, those rough edges get smoother. And suddenly, we look up in all of these areas that represent different struggles we have, we can say, I see success in that area as I see the Lord giving me success. And I will say for myself personally, I do not want to be the man that people say he would be a great elder except he would be a great elder except he can't keep his mouth shut he would be a great elder except he can't control that drinking problem he would be a great elder except he never disciplined his sexual life he would be a great elder except he always has a problem with everybody i don't want to be that man and the way i work on that is to start now Daily disciplining myself in all of these areas, not just because someday I want to be an elder, but knowing that that will be a part of being an elder, giving even more motivation to that. So, the encouragement is for us to set about addressing our flaws. And can I say this? This is not just about elders, this is not just about men, this is not just about young men. That all of us need to understand we have flaws and weaknesses that if we are willing to discipline ourselves, God can help us overcome. That's the point of the gospel. We become new in Christ and we grow. That might be a tough process. We may need to talk to some of those who are older and have walked down those roads and know some things. But at the end of all of this, we can say that over time, those things should be showing signs of progress if I discipline myself. The last thing that I can do now to prepare to be an elder is I can begin to serve others. Serve others. Titus chapter 1 and verse 8. Titus 1 and verse 8 says, but hospitable. Hospitable means that elders are intended to serve. We talked about hospitality a few weeks ago. Very often, elders are going to be called on to be servants, to give of themselves. And what he is saying here is, even when before they are elders, they need to be the kind of people ...who serve others before. They're already servants. And so they are prepared for a a greater kind of service as a result of that. I want you to notice how many parts of an elder's work can be understood as service. This is Acts 20 and verse 28... Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with his own blood. To care for or shepherd or watch over. The idea here is I am doing something for other people, not for myself. I am serving them. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Hebrews 13, 17. They are keeping watch over your souls. They're not doing it for themselves. The work of an elder is a thankless work in that way. It's certainly not something they're doing because it makes them feel good. It's something they do because they want to bless others. We ask you, brothers, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Look how they are laboring. Look how they are admonishing. And look how they are working. They are doing things, but they're doing them for you. That's the point. Elders serve. Elders have an intense and organic connection to the local church. They are a huge part of the local church in which they are already serving. And when they become elders, they just serve that same group in a different way. They are involved. Elders are involved. It wouldn't do to have an elder who only occasionally shows up to services, would it? That wouldn't do. Service is the work. Elders are going to need to know people in the local church so that they can serve them. They're going to be showing kindness. They're going to be watching out for people. They're going to be teaching. There will be late nights. There will be hard calls and tough meetings and lots of prayer. All of it for other people. All of it. So how can I prepare for that now? I can start serving now. I can get involved now. I can get to know my brothers and sisters now. So that over time people see that I really am just interested in them. That I really do just care about them. I'm not just in it for me. I'm not just trying to make friends, that I just have the heart of Christ. I love them and I want to help. That is the heart of service that elders spring from. If I can be a blessing to other people, they learn about my sincerity. They learn to trust me and I grow too. I become more like Jesus. I become more of the man other people want me to be. And so serving others becomes a part of my preparation. Now if we keep that plan up over a number of years, we'll be headed in the right direction. Learn God's word, focus on my family, discipline myself, and serve others. I want to stress that these are goals for every single one of us. This is not the fast track plan to becoming an elder because there is no such thing. You cannot fast track your way to being an elder. There is no microwave elder. Just put him on for a a couple of months or a couple of weeks and suddenly you get a great elder. Elders grow over time. We need to say that not everybody can be an elder. New Testament describes men being elders, not women. Some people have family situations that don't allow them to be elders. Some people don't have the temperament to be an elder. Some people come to the gospel later in life and are ill-prepared. And I want to say very plainly, that does not mean, and nothing I've said this morning is intended to imply, that people who are not elders are somehow second-class Christians. I do not believe that for a moment. I have known some wonderful, fine Christian men and women who are not elders. We cannot act like that is the end-all be-all of Christian faith. However, it is entirely appropriate for us to say, if anyone desires the work of an overseer, he desires a good work. It's a noble thing. It is a good thing, and it is necessary. I mentioned women, and I want to say that behind every elder, behind the stability that they provide for a local church, is a faithful, godly woman. That's true of our elders here. It is important that women buy into God's vision for the local church, too. Because they are an essential part of it. And it is important That we understand that in all of this, when a, a man is growing and learning and focusing on his family and disciplining himself and serving other people, he needs those who will help him and bless him and encourage him in that, who will work with him side by side. That's essential. So I want to encourage our women as well, that these are things that are noble, not only for your husband, but for you. That these are things that will bless not only you and your family, but this local church. As you all grow, I want to say, while I'm on the topic, how thankful I am for our five elders. We have five outstanding men who lead this congregation, who watch over us and challenge us and lead us, and it is a really fascinating thing to think that God has been preparing these men for a long time to do this work. Years and years and years have gone into them being where they are at this moment in time. And you and I, as members of this church, we reap the benefits of that. We are blessed by God. But the main reason I'm preaching this sermon is I want you to be aware, especially our young men, what is your goal? And are you doing the work now to get there? Would you pray with me about that? Oh God, our Father, we are so thankful to you that we can work and live together in a community like this. We're thankful for one another. We're thankful for your son that has brought us together through his sacrifice, through his love for us, that he's changed our lives, saved us from our sins and cleansed us. And we're thankful, Father, that we can live in a community like this where we celebrate that sacrifice and our common faith, where we work and live and grow together, where we try to encourage one another, and we try to... Pull one another up to be the kind of person that you want us to be. Father, we're thankful for our elders, for the way they serve us, for the way they humble themselves before us, watch over us. They guide us. Sometimes they challenge us and rebuke us. and We're thankful for them and for their work. Father, as we think about the future of this local church, we ask your blessing on us. We ask that you'll be with us who are younger, who are growing. Help us to pay attention to the things that are going on in our lives and the things that are going on in our homes. Help us to set as a goal to be the kind of people that would be elders in the future. And Father, we ask your blessings on us as we work together, that this congregation would be one that you would use to show the light of your gospel in this community and around the world. We thank you so much for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There might be someone here this morning who needs to obey the gospel. Is ready to become a Christian, turn away from sin, to live a new life in Christ. That's who we are. That's why we're here. We love the Lord because of what he's done for us, because he first loved us. Jesus came and lived as a man, died on the cross for our sins, so that we could be free from sin, and we could have hope of eternal life with him. And if you need to respond to that gospel and you're ready to give your life over to him and to be baptized into Christ, have those sins washed away and begin a new walk with him this morning, we invite you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.